Thank you, Father, that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are being formed, developed, and released to help the body of Christ transition from church father to kingdom by growing in love, becoming equipped in the word, being united in faith, becoming mature, and attaining, Father, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We thank you, Father, that the ministry of inner healing and deliverance is being administered to all who thirst for it and that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction among the people in the area of offense, the religious spirit, the orphan spirit, and the spirit of Jezebel, that the breaking of these strongholds over the church, which is your people, must come to pass, Father, if we truly desire to manifest heaven on earth. Thank you, Father, for stirring up new wine for your people. And, Lord God, that you are looking for new wineskins to pour your supernatural power into. We declare and decree that, Lord God, new wineskins are being formed at Divine Generations Church. Let us hunger and thirst, Father, for the manifestation of the Father's supernatural power to flow through miracles, signs, and wonders that salvation may, Father, permeate the earth. Let us not be followers of Christ who look up to heaven waiting for its arrival. Rather, let us be followers, being rooted in our identity as sons and daughters and heavenly places for Christ, who anxiously desire to manifest the heaven within us on earth. To him be all of the glory in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. 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 All right, so tonight we will be going into part eight of the prophetic languages of the Father. And tonight we will be looking at the fivefold ministry. I know, right? All right, so the first thing that I want to say before I start off with this is that. A lot of times when I'm going to be teaching, I will be kind of debunking a lot of myths um, that has been the foundation of a lot of churches, um, as well as correcting some things that we have been doing as a church, as far as worldwide or nationwide, whether it's just part of a cliche that we say or something that we, we say and we don't like know um, what we're doing as far as the reason behind we do something or the reason we say something in regards to Christianity. So tonight I will be actually kind of, you know, going through and debunking some things that we as the church have looked at as far as an establishment, but really are not, it's not supposed to be the foundation um, of the church or a particular teaching. So the first thing that I would like to say in regards to the fivefold ministry is that for too long we have made the foundation of the church to be the pastors to be the head of the body. And that has been the probably, the, I don't want to say the biggest, but one of the biggest misconceptions in regards to the church because the pastor is not the head of the body. The pastor is a part of the body of Christ, um, with Christ being the head of the church. So 
with Christ being the head, the pastor is actually the overseer of the works of Christ um, and the sheep, or you could say children of God, that he has given to the body as a gift. Amen. So the f- the two scriptures that we're going to come off of in regards to the fivefold ministry, we're going to first look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and we're going to look at Colossians 1 and 18. So first, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now the first thing that stands out before we go any further it says these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church so these are not gifts that man gave these are not gifts that you know religious people in the church give these are gifts that Christ gives to the church so Christ is is the authorizer he's the one in authority he's the one that gives the people their mission he's the ones that assigns the gifts to the church where you should go as far as being a gift to the church he is the one that gives the gifts um next it says so the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the pastors and teachers their responsibility another key word their responsibility which means that if you are a part of the fivefold ministry and god has called you to the any one of these offices you have a responsibility to the body that you are not someone that just carries a title you carry a responsibility with that title it says their responsibility is to equip god's people to do his work so that's the first thing. So one of the responsibilities of the fivefold ministry is not to sound real deep <laughs> and, you know, give you these revelations so you can be like, ooh, and ah. No, the responsibility is to equip, which means that the body is not equipped. So no matter if you are an apostle, you are a prophet, you are an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher, you have a responsibility to do your part in as far as equipping the body. So to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So not only are we equipped in the body, of Christ we also are building we're building up the church building up people's faith building up people's as far as encouraging them building up people and in regards to maturing them so we are to build up the church the body of Christ the second scripture we're coming from is Colossians 1 and 18 and it says he is the head of his body who is the head of the body? Christ. Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn era in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. Now, the reason why this is important, because how you perceive a thing is very important. The filters, the lenses in which you look at a thing is very important. So if you don't believe 
or you you don't have that foundation as far as Christ being the head and it's one of those things where well whatever the you know because for so long we've been victim to this will way in the past that we just whatever the pastor say that's what goes you do not question the pastor you know what I'm saying whatever he said it was the truth but God is really the father is really looking for like I say, it's really time out for that type of movement, and it's time for more of an intimate movement, that you have a personal relationship with the Father. And a lot of times, like, churches have been so set up, and like I say, the foundation, number one, hasn't been on Christ to begin with, but because a foundation that was laid was not laid correctly, everything else that's built upon it is subject almost to go into error. Because when the first part is not right, you are subject to go into error on the different, the other parts that you build upon. So that's why we say we want to make sure as far as divine generation goes, that the foundation of this church would be Christ is the head. Amen. So now I'm just going to get out some things that no matter what part you play in the fivefold ministry, you should, everybody should be able to do these things that I'm getting ready to list for you. No matter what part you play, number one, all who operate in the fivefold ministry must be able to teach. I didn't say walk in the office of a teacher. I said you should be able to teach. There's the gift of teaching and there's the office of teaching. So no matter what part of you are in the fivefold ministry, you should be able to teach. The next thing, no matter what part you are in the fivefold ministry, you must be able to walk in the gift of prophecy. Because quite simply put, the gift of prophecy is just really hearing from the Father and saying what he said. Now, that's totally different from the office of a prophet. Now, I ain't say you have to walk in the office of the prophet, but you must walk in the gift of prophecy. You've got to be able to hear. The next thing is that if you are, no matter what position you are in the fivefold ministry, love must be the soil of the heart in which we speak. And that's through correction. That's through encouragement. That's through uplifting. That's through edifying. That's with, you know, sending warnings out, the, the foundation of all prophecy um, and the heart and the soil in which we approach things must be from a heart of humility and a heart of love. And the reason why that is so is because that was the basis of our father, that he first loved us while we were yet. So we follow that same motto. The next thing is that I kind of actually kind of put it out there, but I'm still going to say it to you, that Christ must be the foundation of your teaching as we build upon that. That no matter what part of the body that you are in, Christ must be the foundation of your teaching. And the last thing is that all must be practicing righteousness. So no matter if you're an evangelist, you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're a prophet, you should be practicing righteousness. 
Amen. Amen. So let's get into the actual fivefold ministry. We are first going to look at apostles. And I think <laughs> for a, a really a long period of time and even till today, and I'm praying that we really, 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 really get this correct because my prayer and my heart for this ministry, part of the prayer and my heart for this ministry has always been that we will walk in the fivefold ministry. And I will show you why it is so important to have the full fivefold ministry operating and functioning in the ministry. So we're going to deal with apostles first. So the word apostle means one who is sent out by the Holy Spirit to be a messenger or ambassador of Jesus Christ through the church. So the word apostle means one who is sent out by the Holy Spirit to be a messenger or ambassador of Jesus Christ through the church. Key word is the one who is sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Father does the sending out. The Holy Spirit does the directing and where you should go. And a lot of time, this is a big misconception in the church, is because we a lot of times look at apostles as very rebellious, not really understanding their work. Because a lot of times God will not really um, plant an apostle in the church. A lot of times God will plant an apostle in the church to grow. And after that apostle has grown, then he sends out the apostle to establish churches. But a lot of times when that happens, we look at that as rebellion, somebody leaving the church. When actually he's doing the, the work of the Holy Spirit and doing the work of the Father because he's being led to establish more churches, which does what? Push the agenda of the kingdom. The next thing about apostles is that I touched on this, but they are called by the Father and sent by him, not by man. So a lot of times there will be a wrestling, kind of like a wrestling match in an apostle's mind because they don't want to leave a place. Especially if they're comfortable, if they establish themselves in that ministry, and then God calls them to begin a new thing. It can be very hard for an apostle as far as mentally is concerned. But you got to keep in mind that God is doing the calling. The next thing is that a lot of time apostles will go through what, what I call the rejection process also in churches. Then a lot of times they will be like rejected by churches. Their teachings will be rejected because a lot of times there's like a, a religious foundation that a lot of churches um, do. And so when the apostle comes to do what he does, the correcting, whether it's the, uh, the correction of foundation, the correction of teaching, the correction of doctrine, there's a rejection process because there's this, it seems as though there's this, this match between the pastor and the apostle that goes on. So the apostle has a pioneering grace to establish churches, they establish ministries, and they establish movements. They equip the believers and lay a foundational truth in the lives of the father's children. So let's take a look at scripture to back up what I'm saying. 
We're going to go to Ephesians 2 and 20. And this is in the TPT version. And actually, I'm starting with verse, I'm doing verse 19 through 22. And it says, so you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy One with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. And your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you in the holy of holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So it's letting you know what's going on. Well, we're building up the church when it says that, that together we build upon the foundation that's laid by the apostles and the prophets. Now, why would he specifically say that the foundation is laid by the apostle and the prophet? Why didn't he say it? the foundation is laid by the, the pastors and the evangelists? There's a specific reason why he said the foundation will be laid by the apostle and the prophet. And the apostle, because like I say, that is what the apostle does. He lays the foundation. He established and pioneers churches. Now, it's coupled with the prophet, which we'll get into later, but it's coupled with the prophet because the prophet is supposed to get you to be able to hear God and to see in the spirit which is very important. So if you take it the letters um, of the churches, a lot of times, that is what a lot of times they was addressing the churches. They was addressing sin. They was addressing idolism. They was addressing them, hearing from other voices, doing, you know, other things as far as idols are concerned, trying to get them to hear in the spirit, trying to get them to see spiritual matters. And so that's why a lot of times you would see an apostle and a prophet together. Because when they go, they go out to establish and get the children to hear and to see. So, so you can get an actual understanding what the importance of a cornerstone is. I have a picture up here for you. So you can see what the corner, when he talks about the cornerstone, this is in the natural, but it translates over in the spirit. Now it says that Christ himself is the cornerstone of the building. Now, what is a cornerstone of the building naturally so we can translate that over to the spirit the purpose of the cornerstone historically was the it was the most important part of the building because the total weight of the edifice made in the building rests on this particular stone which if removed would collapse the whole structure so the cornerstone was also the key to keeping the walls straight. So not only does the cornerstone 
keep the building from collapsing, it also is, is it's like one of those things, it's just like a gear in which it keeps the walls of the building straight. So if the cornerstone was set properly, the stonemason could be assured that all other corners of the building would be at the appropriate angles as well. So that's why I said that it's very important that the foundation of every ministry must be Christ. If it is not Christ, there's, there's going to be not only a problem with the foundation, but the weight of the building is not resting upon Christ, which means that it's subject to be removed. So the apostles was also called spiritual builders. So you know how we got construction workers in the natural? There would be in the spirit what we consider spiritual builders. Because a lot of times they reference apostles actually as those that have the blueprints and actually architects. So let's look, um, let's see. Let's see. We are going to go to 1 Corinthians 3. Nine through fifteen. First Corinthians three, nine through fifteen. And this is the message version, which tends to break it down to the smallest morsel. <laughs> and it says, or to put it another way, you are God's house. So it's giving you an analogy. You are God's house. Using the gift God gave me as a good architect. Now he's now he's an apostle. He's telling you what he does. He says, using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I design blueprints. Apollos is putting up the walls. Let each carpenter who comes on the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Because actually my husband used this um, scripture in his Sunday message. So it says, if you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If, you, if your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. Right. <laughs> it's very powerful. Let you know you better keep that foundation correct. <laughs> because, like the Bible says, when the storm of life <laughs> come and hit against your house, it's, it's pretty much it's going to try you out. It's going to show what you've been building upon and what your foundation been. And this, it's at times like this, for instance, in a pandemic, when we actually see where your foundation is, how what you've been building upon, what your building materials been looking like. So apostles hold a unique position in the body of Christ as the Father speaks through them to establish doctrine and establish the people in truth. Now, we know that Jesus actually walked in every office 
when he was on the earth. And as far as apostleship, he was always, <laughs> always coming against the legalism that was in his day. He was always coming against the Sanhedrin. <laughs> he was coming against all the rituals of that day. So he walked in far as an apostle, he walked in apostleship because he came to bring what a new thing. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. He came to bring a new thing to the people. So he was always establishing and correcting doctrine. So the, there are um, needed today so that we are able to have the correct foundation to build upon, correct false teaching, and established foundation of Christ that is built upon. So that is the importance of the apostle in the fivefold ministry. Amen. So next we have the prophets. The prophets. Now, before I get into the scriptures and examples and everything, I want to debunk some myths in regards to prophets. Those that walk in the office of the prophet. First thing is that there are Christians who believe that they have to be a prophet to hear the father's voice, but that is not biblical. You do not have to be a prophet <laughs> to hear the father's voice. All you have to do is be a, ch a child of God. That's the prerequisite. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> we keep things simple. The next myth I want to debunk is that every child of God can and should be able to hear the Father's voice. If you are having trouble hearing the Father's voice, number, number one is that you need to get more in the word. You need to get more in the word to recognize what his voice sounds like. The second thing is that you need to spend more time in prayer. So the next thing is that in addition, every believer can prophesy even though every believer is not called to be a prophet or carry the office. So the difference in the office of the prophet and then the gift of prophecy is first, that when you're walking in the office of a prophet, you have been given as a gift to the body. When you're walking in the gift of prophecy, that is what it is. It is a gift that has been given to you. So there's a gift that's been given to you, and then there's the office in which you are the gift to the body. It's a total difference. The second difference is that when it comes to the office of the prophet, we are called to the office to equip the body. When you're walking in the gift of prophecy, you are not called to equip the body. You're called to hear and say. But for, for instance, for me as a person that actually walks in the office of a prophet, I have more responsibility. Not only is, do I have a responsibility to, to hear the Father and say what he say, but I also have a responsibility to equip the bodies to get them to hear and to get them to see. And the last thing is that we are not to replace the Holy Spirit with prophets, but we're, we're to get children to operate like our brother Jesus. So we're not replacing the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we're getting people to hear the Father's voice. 
So now we will go into what is a prophet. A prophet is, quite simply put, nothing deep about this. One who speaks for God to man or says what the Father says. Prophets foretell a word from the Father that reveals the Father's plan for the church, cities, regions, nations, territories, or people. You have all different kinds of prophets. Every prophet is not the same. There's a lot of prophets that the Lord speaks to in concerning the nation. There's a lot of things that the, the Father will use a prophet for um, in regards to cities. Quite frankly, when it comes to me, God uses me more in the lines of when it comes to prophecy, revealing people's destiny and their purpose. But prophets can also be used for correction, for rebuke as well. So there's several different, so you'll see in, in, in at the same time, then there's different styles that, that, that prophets come with as well. Not every prophet has the same style when they minister. So according to um, 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, which I don't have up there, the prophetic gifts is given for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So when it comes to being a prophet and walking in the office of the prophet, I will never embarrass a person. Because that's not the foundation. It's not to reveal people's sins. It's just not. And I, I've seen that happen, and it's just, it's just detrimental to people, that people don't even want to come to church because they're afraid that you... I'm serious that you will open their, their, their mail. So when it comes to, you know, the office of the prophet, you got to have some type of, I want to say some cooth <laughs> about yourself, that even if God does reveal to you that person is in sin, that's not for everybody to know. That's for you to pull that person aside and say, hey, you know, I've seen this. I don't know what this means, but maybe you do. But just, you know, just to you know, put something on your heart or blah, 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 about maybe a situation that you might be going through. But like I say, so, so just make sure you're not embarrassing people. You're not speaking damnation on people because that's not what the office of a prophet does. So if people are already beat up, you know what I'm saying? They're feeling beat up when they come in here. You know, they're in depression. They probably got their, they're on their last dollars sometimes, you know, frustrated with an employer going through and friendships and marriages and church hurt. So, you know, you want to make people feel loved. Because if they can't come here, then where can they go? <laughs> so, as an example I have for you, we have Barnabas, who had an innate prophetic gift that exhorted. He had a gift of exhortation. So he was a prophet that walked in exhortation, um, that he exhorted the body on purpose, and then steadfastly, he, when he also exhorted the body, he actually, part of his exhortation was kind of to plead to the people to hold on to the Father. So we're going to look at an example of that. Acts 11, 20 through 24.
Okay, so it says, verse 20, however, some of the believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch in Syria preached to the non-Jews living there, proclaiming the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus. The mighty power of the Lord was with them as they ministered. A large number of people believed and turned their hearts to the Lord. News of what was happening in Antioch reached the church of Jerusalem. So the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch as their emissary, basically as their ambassador. When he got there and witnessed for himself God's marvelous grace, he was enthused and overjoyed. He encouraged the believers to remain faithful and cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the spirit of holiness, and he exuded a life of faith. Because of his ministry, even more crowds of people were brought to the Lord. So he entered into this place, and he exhorted them and encouraged them to remain faithful and then because he did this exhortation, the Bible says that even more people were brought to the Lord. So next we have, now I don't have an example for um, as far as uh, John the Baptist, but I do have an example for, because we know that John the Baptist was a prophet. So I try not to focus on the obvious people and, and focus on people that you kind of haven't heard of or recognized. So we have um, Agabus. Um, which was a prophet who heard the voice of the father and he was used as a mouthpiece for the father. So we're going to look at Acts 11, 27 through 28. And verse 27 says, During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So now, remember I told you, we have several different types of prophets. Now, when we was looking at Barnabas, he was an exhorter. He was an encouraging prophet. But now we have what? Agabus. Agabus is actually used what to proclaim what is coming. So he, when, when it came to him, he actually, it said he predicted by the spirit, meaning that he operated in the gift of discernment. He discerned that a great famine was coming upon the tired Roman world. And it kind of reminds me of Kirby. <laughs> because he really, and, and, the, and that's the crazy part about it. I was telling him we really have to start speaking up as far as testimonies. And we have to start speaking up as far as dreams is concerned. Because literally, he had several, like, dreams before the pandemic hit. That, like, and the crazy part about it is that he brought the dream to me. I interpreted the dream. It was the pretty much the exact thing that is happening right now in the earth from the coronavirus all the way to the, the um, Black Lives Matter movement. He had the dream for both. 
So just trying to get you to see that there's different types of prophets and how they operated and how God used them as a mouthpiece. So in Luke, we're going to look at Luke 1 and 76. And this is John's father. Who also was a prophet and prophesied to his son as as he is a child, what he shall become and do. Now, this is more along the lines of what I do, calling out people's destinies and their purposes. So John's father, John the Baptist's father, was a prophet, and this is what he did. So Luke 1 and 76, and it says, And to you I prophesy, my little son, you will be known as the prophet of the glorious God, for you will be a forerunner going before the face of the master, Yahweh, to prepare hearts to embrace his ways. So he was speaking for prophecy over his son's life. So true prophecy will always be rooted and grounded in love, in mercy, and wisdom. Because I'm not saying what I think is on my mind. That has to come from wisdom, which is the Holy Spirit, because I don't know unless he reveals it to me. So you got to operate in wisdom. You got to operate in mercy and you got to operate in love when it comes to prophecy. Also, prophets are also called seers. You will always, always sometimes hear the word seer and prophets kind of in, used interchangeably. So prophets are also seers because of their spiritual insight and their ability to see the future and see in the spirit. They also are called, you will also see this word, watchmen and watchwomen. Because they pretty much what they do, when people start, for instance, when people start coming and filling up the church and stuff, what a watchman or, um, or, or a seer does, he sees the spirits on different people. He sees that that person might be carrying the spirit of division amongst the body. So what he does is say, hey, he comes to leadership and say, hey, I've seen the spirit on this person. So we probably should, you know, make sure that we, we be watchful, be prayerful about this person because it may cause division in the body. And you need watchmen because what does the Bible say? That, that Satan has the same ability to transform himself into an angel of light. So you need seers. You need watchmen. You need people discerning the intentions of the reason why people are here because not everybody that's going to come in here is going to be for the right reasons. So the last thing uh, example for you is Isaiah's ministry. And when it came to Isaiah's ministry, he actually operated in the present and the future. So when God used him, a lot of times he spoke for prophecy and he dealt with things that was going on during that period of time. And then he also spoke prophecy as what is to come. So we're going to see two examples of that. So first one is Isaiah 1 and 4. And this is him dealing with what was going on during that period of time. And it says, oh, how this nation keeps sinning. See them dragging the heavy burden of their guilt. 
They are corrupt children, descendants of evildoers. They have turned their backs on the Lord God and despised the Holy One of Israel. They have cut themselves off from the help of God. So he's prophesying what is happening during this period of time in which what he is seeing as far as spiritually is concerned. The next one is Isaiah 25 and 8. Now he's prophesying what is to come. And he says, it is the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. Who is he talking about? Christ. So he's talking about what he's seeing as far as in the future to come. That he will swallow it up in victory forever. And God, Lord Yahweh, will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove every trace of disgrace that his people have suffered throughout the world. For the Lord Yahweh has promised it. Amen. So we have several people who are prophets in the Bible that the father used as a mouthpiece. We have Abraham. We have Moses. We have Samuel, we have David, Elijah, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, and also Jesus. Because remember I told you, he operated in the full fivefold ministry. So as a prophet, they always say, well, we perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> How did he, they perceive that he was a prophet? Because of things in which he would speak to them. That no man would know this unless what the father revealed it. So we perceive that you are a prophet. And even when he revealed to the woman at the well, she was like, you must be a prophet <laughs> to, open my, to open my mail like that. But he did it in love, though. You see what I'm saying? He, he could have condemned her. Like, I don't know what you're doing. You got about five different baby daddies. You with somebody, husband. What you know, he could have he condemned her, but he didn't. He offered her living water. He knew what the root of her issue was. The reason why she was chasing after this counterfeit love is the, re the, the main reason why she was chasing after counterfeit love is what she was really seeking was his love to complete her. So next in line is our evangelist. I know, right? Woohoo! <laughs> our evangelist. Now, event, I really don't think that evangelists really get the, you know, the, the, the proper due. They don't get their proper due. They really, really, really don't. I think from the looks of everything, I think that evangelists don't get their proper due, followed by probably teachers, evangelists, and apostles. They really don't get their proper due. So we're going to talk about evangelists. Now, evangelists are messengers who actually proclaim the good news. So if you ever, 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 ever see anybody walk in the office of an evangelist, they are very, 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 they, they carry like a boldness when it comes to the word because they have to proclaim the word. They're proclaiming the good news. So a person that we're going to look at is Philip in the Bible because Philip was an evangelist. Philip was an evangelist assigned to the Samaritan who preached the word with signs, wonders, and miracles following, which in turn led to revival. 
So evangelists are extremely important when we talk about revival. And, you know, we like I say, we we all a lot of times we say cliche is things like, you know, we feel revival coming to what is revival. You know what I'm saying? We say a lot of things. We don't know what it means. So a lot of times, any time in the Bible, you will always see revival happening. The, the, the root of that happening was the evangelist when it came to revival. So we're going to look at an example of that in Acts 8, 3 through 8. Acts 8, 3 through 8. And verse 3 says, now, now let me give you a little bit of backdrop. This is when Saul was not Paul, and he was persecuting the church. <laughs> so, and he was not, you know what I'm saying, he was not who God pretty much had called him to be just of yet. So, and Saul just went wild, it says, devastating the church, entering house after house after house, dragging men and women off to jail, forcing them to leave their home base. The followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. Going down to a Samaritan city, Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. When the people heard what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's action, they hung on his every word. Many who could neither stand nor walk were healed that day. The evil spirits protested loudly as they were sent on their way. And what joy in the city. That's revival. That's what you call revival, true revival. So the office of the evangelist usually walks in the gift of healing and deliverance as part of their ministry because that is a part of revival. That is what revival is. When people start, be, when, when you proclaim the good news to people, and once you proclaim the good news to people, signs, wonders, and miracles follow. After you proclaim the good news, people become delivered and people become healed. That is the work on an evangelist, and that is what true revival is. <laughs> so, in the Apostle Paul's, now this is very important, especially if you call to the office of an evangelist, please write this down, this scripture down. In the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy, he sets forth the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5. He's letting you know what this evangelist thing is all about. Starting at verse 2, he says, Proclaim the word of God and stand upon it no matter what. Rise to the occasion and preach when it is convenient and when it's not convenient. Another translation says, Preach in season and preach out of season. So be ready at all times, basically he's saying. Preach in the full expression of the Holy Spirit with wisdom and patience as you instruct and teach the people. For the time is coming, he letting you know what you're going to be up against. If you're an evangelist, he says, for the time is coming when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. 
they will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they want to hear. They will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. So be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planter and evangelist and fulfill your ministry calling. That's a whole lot. <laughs> that is a whole lot, but he lays it out. What you're going to come up against as an evangelist, what you need to do, it's going to be, you're going to end season and out of season. Whether you're happy, whether you're sad, you got to be ready at all times, he said. Now, I personally, like, it, it's so crazy, but I actually am a product of an evangelist. Me personally, I am a product of an evangelist. I was, you know, I, now I knew, like I said, I was reading the Bible with no understanding, right? And so, you know, but still I hadn't given my life to the Lord. I was still, you know, partying, going to school, you know what I'm saying? But I, the crazy part about it, I, I'll still always read my Bible, but I wasn't saved. And so I remember working with this um, this woman. Her name was Aranda James. And in the time, I was trying to figure out, you know, the direction I'm supposed to go as far as my college and my career. So I started off in nursing. I wanted to be a nurse. And so in that, I had to do this, like, I had to get experience in that, but I had to do it as a lower form before I become a nurse. So I had to get experience as a certified nurse's assistant. Now, so I got hired at this nursing home, and really um, the unit that I was on, it was the Alzheimer's unit. And so there was a woman there, her name was Aranda James, and they, they would pair the, the people have, who had been there for a long time with the newbies. And so I got paired with her, and she had been there for like a good seven years, and so she can show me the ropes and stuff of how what I'm supposed to be doing. So they always paired you like two by two because when you're working in like an Alzheimer's user in a nursing home, you it's like you can't do it by yourself. And then I was way smaller than I am now, so like I definitely couldn't, you know, help anybody get dressed or bathed or anything without some type of assistance. But anyways, long story short is that one day, and she always carried around this little pocket Bible. This, it was like the only one she carried around really was like this, the New Testament. You know the little pocket Bibles that just got the New Testament in it? She always carried around that little pocket New Testament Bible. And we was working one day, and so we went on break. And so we was talking in the break room. And just out of nowhere, she asked me, she was like, you know, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I'm like, that's kind of bold, you know, be asking somebody, you know what I'm saying? But she was doing the work of an evangelist. That even though she was working at that place, she knew what her calling was. And so I said, I remember saying to her, no, I have not. And so right there in the break room. She goes through the verses, she goes through John, she shows me what I need to do, and at that moment, literally, I, like I say, I received salvation at that moment on the job. And the crazy part about this woman is that when, when, 
the people in the nursing home, they would transition to another department depending on how their health condition was. So when they came from like independent living, a lot of times their health would be getting worse and they would go on the Alzheimer's unit. And from the Alzheimer's unit, they'll go into com like total complete care. And so like sometimes we would have to go over to total and complete care, which I hated, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> Because I knew why, I mean, now I know why God was doing that. But we would go over there together. And it's so funny because we did it so much that we knew when people were getting ready to die. Because there was a, a certain look that a person would give. There was a certain way that will, they would start to breathe. You know, then, um, you know, they would start turning pale and blue and just all these different things that to the point where we knew actually when this person was getting ready to pass. So as an evangelist, I literally seen this woman walk people through salvation that had not received salvation right when they're getting ready to die on their deathbeds. And she did this in the nursing home. She would tell them, you know, that, you know, she would ask them, have you received, you know, have you repented for all of your sins? Like some of these people was like 99, 102 had not received salvation. Had not given their life over to the Lord. And she would literally walk them through salvation in the nursing home. And two or three days later or a week later, they would die. So, like I say, she most, like I say, I am definitely a product of an evangelist. So that's why I say, if you're an evangelist, keep doing what you're doing because you don't know if you are watering or you are planting. Because she did, she planted that day. She planted a seed in me. And like I say, she did not know that that, that was the beginning of this. So that's why I say, just keep doing it. Just keep going, no matter what, because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know the, the impact that you're having on somebody's life, the start that you're going to do as far as what, you know, the direction God is going to take a person. So the father will use an evangelist today to cause people to hear the father's voice and respond to his love towards them. So remember now that this, that it was Philip in the book of Acts chapter 8. Remember, he was led by an angel. Remember that to take the desert road to Gaza where he met the Ethiopian eunuch. And he gave him a Bible study right then and there. And then he what baptized them. And then he was then the father transported him in the spirit. That was Philip, the evangelist. So he gave a Bible study right on the spot. Because he saw that Enoch was having a hard time understanding the book that he was reading. And then after he gave him the understanding of what he was reading, he said, you know, what's preventing us from from, from you getting baptized. Okay, so let's look at Jude 1, 20 through 23, and this will be the last scripture for the evangelist. Jude 1, 20 through 23. And the verse says, But you, my delightfully loved friends, Constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the spirit. Fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. Keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts. Snatch others out of the fire to save them. 
be mercifully over and merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. Be extremely careful to keep yourself free from the pollutions of the flesh. So that's another standard in regards to evangelism. He's saying, look, you're going to have to walk in all of this. You're going to have to pray every moment in the spirit because you have to keep yourself built up in tongues. You want to fasten your heart to the love of God and receive his mercy. You want to keep being compassionate. Remember, a lot of times, remember I told you, Ola, you was like, I don't know why I'm so emotional. You would cry, and I say, this not being emotional, that's compassion. Evangelists need compassion. They operate in that. And then it's on top of that, he said, you got to keep yourself free from the pollution of the flesh, though. Because so many times you're going to come into contact with people, it's going to be detrimental for you to, re to, like I say, continue to build yourself up in the spirit because it's easy to get off in the flesh because you're going to be coming into contact with so many different people. All right. So we have, what, two more to go. Let's go to pastors. All right. I know, right? Pastors. <laughs> so now in regards to pastors. Now, pastors shepherd the flock or children of God. They are the shepherds. Pastors should be able to hear the voice of the Father, but we should not solely depend upon our pastors to hear for us. We should also be hearing from our Father. A good pastor will teach the flock how to mature in the things of God. So the Hebrew word for pastor literally means to tend to a flock, to pastor it, or graze it. So a pastor corrects, a pastor exhorts, a pastor edifies, he comforts, and he disciplines the flock. So let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews 13 and 17. Now, we are not using this scripture <laughs> to put you in bondage. There's something that I want to pull out of this. So we're going to look at the King James Version, and we're going to look at the TPT Version because there's something in both versions that I want you to see. First, looking at the King James Version, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul. So your pastor is watching for your soul, meaning the seat of your feelings, your desires, your affections, your aversions. They are watching out for your souls. It says, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So they're pretty much watching out for your safety. So it says, don't grieve the pastor, please. Because <laughs> they're watching out for your souls. Now let's look at the TPT version, Hebrews 13 and 17. And it says, obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority. For they keep watch over your soul without resting since they will have to give an account to God for their work. 
So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. So as the pastor looks after you, it's, it becomes a benefit for you if you receive it. But a lot of times, <laughs> part, of, part of being a pastor, you, a lot of times you might become grieved by your congregation because you want them to get the information. You want them to grow. So be, they become grieved and kind of vexed in their spirit. But it says not to do that because so it, it's going to be a benefit for you. So sometimes you won't always see the benefit of something. But a lot of times when you just do it, you're like, oh, I see now. So a lot of times people be like, I see now. <laughs> so not only are pastors to watch over the flock, but they are to be examples and lead the way. So anytime there's a shepherd, they are the example and they lead the way by example. They follow Christ because <laughs> that's the example. So they must lead by example as they lead the way. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3 says, I have a special concern for you church leaders. I know what it is like to be a leader in on Christ's suffering as well as the coming glory. Here is my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously. Not bossily telling others what to do but tenderly showing them the way. <laughs> Giving you pretty much the heart of a pastor, what the heart of the pastor is supposed to be. You're not supposed to look at this thing like this is a burden, just something to do, another thing to do, <laughs> you know. It says you're not supposed to have that heart. And it says don't do it because you feel like you have to do it. You should want to do it to please the Father. Because a good shepherd must be able to feed the flock, protect the flock, and guard them. Because why? There's wolves that come in with sheep clothing. And then what does the Bible say? That the shepherd would do what? Leave the what? The 99 to go get the one. So if the pastor is always in that mode of protection and guard, feeding, and guiding the flock. So let's look at the two more scriptures. Um, Jeremiah 3 and 15. Just so we can see what the, what the father says about pastors. And it says, and I will give you pastors according to my heart. Not the world's heart. <laughs> Not what your parents think you should be doing. He said, according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So that's what the pastor is doing. He's feeding you with knowledge and he's feeding you with understanding. So pretty much he's removing the ignorance. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. 
And the last scriptures for pastors, Acts 20 and 28. Acts 20 and 28. And it says, verse 28, now it's up to you. Be on your toes, both for yourselves and your congregation of sheep. The Holy Spirit has put you in charge of these people, God's people they are, to guard and protect them. God himself thought they were worth dying for. That's pretty heavy proclamation right there. That is Acts 20 and 28. The translation is um, the message. Either the message or uh, TPT. It says to guard and protect them. God himself thought they they are worth dying for. So guess what? You got to take on that same mindset. Because if God thought they were good enough to die for, and then he put you in, in charge to shepherd them, then, like I say, that's a, that's a pretty heavy thing to carry, that you got to be mindful of, of your example you set and how you're leading the way. And last and definitely not least is teachers because they really, really, really don't get their due. And to be honest with you, I don't know why this is so, but like so many different, like I've read so many different books and commentaries and stuff like that. They combine pastors and teachers. It's like pastor slash teacher. They're not the same. They do totally different things for the body. They have a totally different responsibility. Now, should pastors, just like all the rest of the fivefold ministry, be able to teach? Yes, you should be able to teach, but that's totally different than walking in the office of a teacher. Just like some of the teachers naturally at universities and at middle schools and high school, can they teach math? Can they teach social studies? Yeah, but that's not their strong suit. They'll do it if they, you know, got a substitute for a teacher or whatever, but that's not what they do. They might be a PE teacher. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. A PE teacher is not the same as a math teacher. A math teacher is not the same as somebody who teaches social studies. So a pastor is not the same as a teacher, but all should be able to teach. Amen. Now, the teachers. Teachers are those who expound, meaning they give and explain in detail. They break the word down to the smallest morsel so you can eat it and understand it and use it. They interpret the word of God. Teachers, which is he or she, which can be a teacher, does not just impart knowledge, but living truth, which can be applied to your everyday life. This is a total difference. (laughs) We're talking about life application. That is what a teacher does. And a lot of times you can, you can really recognize when you're missing a teacher in the body of Christ. You know you're missing a teacher in the body of Christ when the minds of the people have not been transformed or conformed. If you leave with the same mindset, you go home with that same depression, you go home with that same anxiety, 
you go home with that same mindset you and you're not being given information to change your mindset or get you to come up to another level then guess what you're missing you're missing the teacher in your fivefold ministry because the teacher is supposed to be building a whole new mindset in you your pastors do your encouraging they keep the flock together they feed with knowledge and they feed understanding Teachers break down the word to renew your mind. And then also teachers build on the foundation laid by the apostle and the prophet, which is Christ. So once the doctrine is established, the foundation is laid, which is Christ, the people get to hear and they hear the father and they can also see in the spirit the teacher comes in to help the mind first um scripture we're going to look at is first corinthians 3 and 10 the translation is the nlt that's first corinthians 3 and 10 and it says because of god's grace to me I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. So teachers must be very careful that they're building on the correct foundation. That's why the apostles is important. The apostle lays down the, the, the work and the doctrinal piece as far as Christ is concerned. The teacher and the, the prophets allow the children to hear and to see. And then the teachers go behind that and begins to break down the word so that you can have practical application for your life. Okay, amen. So a good teacher makes the complex simple. So a lot of times, like, I don't understand, like, how, you know, what is going on with this passage or what's going on with this scripture. What the teacher does is makes the complex simple and you can think of it in regards to a teacher at school now it might be complex for a student to understand geometry what is the purpose of the teacher for you to understand the concept of geometry or math is for them to break it down for you and they give you formulas to work on they give you examples to work on because they're trying to get you to understand this and guess what for what for application because you're going to get a job, you're going to need to know about money. You're going to need to know the foundational parts of what one plus one is, which is two, because you can't go on to geometry if you don't know the basics. So, so the teacher makes the complex simple, expounds and explains the word in detail in order to make it comprehensive, meaning to give you understanding of all the aspects or elements regarding an issue. So he gives you the whole picture of what's going on. So since we do not come into the world as experts and geniuses, right, he gives us teachers so that we will not be ignorant to spiritual things in this world or in the word. So if we look at things from a natural perspective for a minute, to understand the role of someone who operates in the office of a teacher, let's look at natural teachers. 
Natural teachers teach language proficiency. They teach motor skills, cultural norms, social customs. They teach manners, moral values, which are the product of a learning process of childhood to adulthood. And the same is true with spiritual teachers. Spiritual teachers teach language proficiency, as far as speaking in tongues, getting your heavenly language. They teach you motor skills, how to operate in the spirit, what your spiritual weapons are. They teach cultural norms, what's the culture of the kingdom. They teach social customs, fellowship. They teach the manners and moral values, the character that you should have in the body of Christ. Which is a product of going from what? Childhood to adulthood. The teachers help you mature in your mind. Which means that as the body, we always have to be in a position to learn from teachers in order to grow. Our heart should be to learn, to receive. So let's look at the last scripture here before I go into my big example so you can get a whole big picture. Because I'm real big on um, pictures so that you can have a place of reference to go to. So let's look at um, James 3, 1 through 2. And this is the TBT version. James 3, 1 through 2. And it says, my, be my dear brothers and sisters, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church since you know that we who teach are held to a higher standard of just of judgment we all fail in many areas but especially with our words yet if we're able to bridle the words we say we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way and that means our character is mature and fully developed. That's what the teachers are trying to make, make you to become, that your character becomes mature and that you become fully developed children of God. But at the same time, it says teachers are held to a higher standard because they are giving you the word. They are breaking it down to you. So you, it's like... They, they must know what they're talking about because they can easily lead somebody astray. So now I have this example for you <laughs> that the father gave me actually today. <laughs> so and my question would be, what would happen if the fivefold ministry arrived at the scene of a car accident? Right? Okay. So the first thing is the pastor. Where the pastor? The pastor. Now, this is what the pastor would do. He would apply the first aid on the scene. He would dispense blankets and water to the people. He starts to gather the vital signs, the information. He talks to everyone about the emergency contact details, and he brings a sense of calmness to the situation. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's 
So he kind of sets the stage. He gathers the people, calms them down, see what the people need. And that's what he does. The next thing, the teacher. What does the teacher do? The teacher studies the scene to see what caused the accident and what might be done to ensure accidents like this don't happen again. The teacher concludes that drivers would benefit from more training and continuing education requirements, right, to grow in the knowledge of what happened and how to prevent it through practical application. So that's what the teacher would do. Trying to get you to see that every single part of this fivefold ministry is important. Now, what would the evangelist do? The evangelist would ask everyone, if you were to die as a result of your injuries, would you go to heaven or hell? <laughs> he or she speaks to the crowd of onlookers. There are no guarantees that you will make it home safely, the evangelist would say. Do you know where you will be going? He or she then leads people to Christ and trains them to lead others. <laughs> Amen. Two left, the prophet. What would the prophet do? <laughs> this was funny, Ashley. The prophet knew there was going to be an accident <laughs> because he or she had a dream or a vision about it the previous night. So he or she walks around the crash scene rebuking the spirit of death, calling out the destiny of various people. <laughs> he or she discovers who's in charge of the crash scene and discerns whether this is God's chosen leader or not, and then finds if nobody's in charge of the scene, the, the, the prophet begins to appoint a leader, somebody in charge. We need somebody in charge. <laughs> so that's what the prophet would do on the scene in the car accident. And, of course, the apostle. What would the apostle do? Let me get apostle. All right, so the apostle releases the healing touch of God into the scene. He tells testimonies of how he has witnessed the power of God to other accident sites. The faith of the listener rises, and they too begin to pray for healing. The apostle starts a school for those who arrive at car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. Each part doing this share. So why is this important? I'm going to tell you why. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, and this is the message version. Now, why would I go through the trouble of doing all of that for you? I'm going to answer that. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 says, no prolonged emphases among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything that we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flows through us nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God and in robust love. 
Now, let's read the TPT version. Yes, it says, and then our immaturity will end. Now, remember, I said, why in the world would I show you this? Our immaturity will end, and we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teaching or by false doctrine of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All of our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as the gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So the last thing I want you to take away with with concerning this particular scripture so the father uses and speaks through the fivefold ministry for these this these purposes first it says so that immaturity will end it pointed this out in that scripture we was just reading this is the reason why we need the fivefold ministry so that number one immaturity will end Number two, so we will not be easily shaken by trouble. Number three, to not be led astray by novel teachings or by false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. Mm-hmm, I'll repeat it. Number three, to not be led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. Number four, to remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. Number five, so that all of our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him. Going through the reason why we need the fivefold ministry and how the father speaks through the fivefold ministry for us. Number six, so that his body, meaning the body of Christ, will be formed in his image. So we all should be conforming to the image of Christ. And that is what the fivefold ministry is going to help us to do, get conformed. Because every time, um, whether it's the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, no matter who it is, they actually impart a grace into you when they teach. So parts of that grace is growing you up. And you don't want to be, be partially mature. You want to be fully mature. So the evangelist has to do what? Teach. A lot of, like I say, 
me walking in the office of a prophet does not mean that the, that part of me as far as evangelism is not it's not developed in me that has to be developed in me that is not something that is natural in me prophecy is natural for me because i walk in that office but evangelism is not natural for me so guess what i me too as part of the body i need to be built up in that area so let's see number six so that his whole body will be formed into his image. Number seven, to be closely joined together and constantly connected as one. So the fivefold ministry keeps you connected as one. We are one in Christ. And it also gives you a sisterhood and a brotherhood at the same time. Number eight, for every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. So there's, like I say, like it says in the Bible, the, you know, the, the eyes can't say to the hand, we don't need you. Because so, how are we going to pick stuff up? How are we going to eat? We can see real good. We can see the food, but we can't eat it. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And then the feet can't say they don't need the hand or the leg. We need every part of our body, every single part of our body to, to, to our thumbs, to our uh, pinky fingers we need everything to operate and function correctly so likewise the same in the body of christ we need every single part to fully operate and the last one is that so we can be built up and made perfect in love so when the father is speaking through the fivefold ministry he's also perfecting us in love amen Amen. Amen. So that is part eight of the languages of the Father. Amen. So let me pray out. Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you have continually, Father, poured out your wisdom upon us, Lord God. We thank you right now, Lord God, as we thank you for your fivefold ministry, Father. We thank you for the gifts that you have given unto the church, Father, to fully mature us, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that you had us in mind, Father, in regards to us growing up and maturing, Lord God, that you on purpose, Father, gave gifts to the church, Father. So let us be mindful, Father, to receive father from those gifts that you have given us so that we can mature into the full stature of christ as we give you thanks and glory in jesus name we pray amen